Thinnerlogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey folks, my name is Eric Arnaud, and welcome to part two of the Nerdologues Presents Your Stories April Podcast, all about the theme of madness. We have a ton of great stories and songs for you today, from comedian-producer Jeremy Connie, filmmaker Kyle Talley, librarian Chris Crotwell, ex-grant writer Mark Wold, and from the last Nerdologues sketch show, the Nerdologues' own Claire Friedman, as well as songs from myself and Dwight Hassler. Uh, this episode covers topics as diverse as The Legend of Zelda and Beating Up Diplomats, uh, true that is a true story it is not to be missed uh if you enjoy listening to your stories and want to participate in one you are in luck we record these guys every month and they are free to come to and participate in our next recording is sunday april 21st 7 p.m at the public house theater 3914 north clark street in chicago illinois if you're interested in telling a story you can sign up in advance on our your stories facebook event which you can find on our Facebook page, obviously. Uh, that is facebook.com slash v-nerdologues. Or, if you want to do something a little easier, go to www.nerdologues, with an O, dot com. Uh, so the best convention in Chicago, C2E2, is coming up at the end of this month. And brother, you better believe the Nerdologues are taking part. That was like a wrestler thing, I don't know. Well, I did that there. <laughs> Friday, April 26th, we're teaming up with the Chicago Nerd Social Club and Chicago Gamers Group put on an after party at the pub theater featuring open gaming comedy burlesque and another round of the super popular io sold out nerds against humanity show with the creators of the game cards against humanity which i'm sure you all love saturday the 27th we're performing at the actual c2e2 on the variant stage that happens at 4:30, and it is free to see as long as you have a c2e2 saturday pass i don't recommend trying to go if you don't have a pass they will probably kick you out uh, then that Sunday, we're back at the pub to do a show with the lovely ladies in Plan 9 Burlesque, uh, and they have named this show the excellent The Uncanny Sexmen and the Rise of the Nude Gods. You can expect lots of comic book themed comedy and burlesque numbers, and it will for sure be a good time. Anything that name checks Jack Kirby in the title, totally worth your time. For more info about all of this, you can go to our website, our Facebook page, you can email me if you want, that's fine. Uh, yeah, don't be creepy. <laughs> Sorry to talk your ears off, guys. As always, thanks for listening. If you'd like to throw a few bucks our way to help cover the cost of web hosting and production, and it does indeed cost a little something, we would be very grateful. Uh, you can donate through a PayPal button on our podcast site, which is yourstories.podbean.com. Thank you guys again so much, and we hope to see you soon. The theme this month is It's a Mad World, and uh, Dwight and I are going to play songs that, that speak to that, starting with the song that uh, we used to be in a, a band, and we would always open shows with this song, so <clears throat> Dwight, whenever you're what, ready. Nerd
We'd always go right into DVDs, now you're a man. But we're not gonna do that right now. Uh, we're gonna get Jeremy Connie up here. Yay! Uh, Jeremy has 
prepared <laughs> something special for us, but he's gonna talk about it first. Hi guys. Hi. So when I heard that the theme was gonna be Mad World, uh, I immediately went to uh, first Gary Jules' Mad World, and second uh, Zelda. <laughs> Specifically, a link to the past. Specifically, even more specifically, uh, no, you're right though, to woo that. <laughs> uh, when Link first goes into the Dark World, which is pretty soon into the beginning of the game, but if you think about uh, the game as it starts and the story of Link, he's just this regular dude who gets woken up and then he goes on this giant quest in which he's shoved into a world that sucks. Like, it's a bunch of monsters and not fun. And he, you know, he was just sleeping a bit ago. And so this is this song that we're going to sing, which I got my good friends Dwight and Eric to help me write and perform, which thank you guys so much. Uh, this is my tale of the perspective of Link as he first goes into the dark world. It's called The Sound of Grumbles. <laughs> <laughs> Darkness, my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision princess pleading Left its seat while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the dark world from Link to the Past <laughs> And it's here I walk alone How I miss my Hyrule home From atop that mountain I can see Ruins, monsters waiting for me When I was hit By that stupid bouncing pink blob guy Who still won't die Dark world, we're the past. balls, your petty wants the power ball. Seven crystals, seven stages. My quest will be to me world from Link to the past. Why couldn't you just be cool? Why do you favor this misrule? Large tracts of land to call your own. Servants here to worship your throne. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that it seems like you might Compensating with the dark world from Link to the Past. After this, I'm going to bed. Napping hard, I'm done with it. Open a bottle of red potion. I'll relax this hero notion. Oh fuck, that's a chicken with nothing but its bones. I hate this place.
best part is that parodies are totally legal, so we can use that song however we want. Uh, so last month of you were here, this gentleman told an amazing story. Uh, it was a slash fiction about him fucking Gambit. Yeah. So who knows what's in store this month? Kyle Tally. Hi. Hey. Um, so, I, I interpreted uh, this this month's theme uh, a little differently. It's this is not like a story per se, as it's kind of a rant on things that make me mad <laughs> in this world. Um, and, and they're really just they're 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 three characters of fiction. Um, and I, I want to ask, what does Zordon, Professor X, and Peter Pan have in common? They're all just like goddamn Joseph Coney. <laughs> they all use fucking child soldiers. <laughs> so Zordon, he 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 he, you know, he Rita comes back after being trapped on the moon in the space dumpster, and he call he gets Alpha to assemble a team of teenagers with attitude. Yeah. That's gonna work. Teenagers with attitude, not highly qualified trained adults with attitude. Teenagers. Sure. Um, he, he has this amazing, amazing array of technology. And, and what does he do? Does, does he give teleportation to the world so that you know, we can start world peace and end, end all the hunger crisis around the world? No, no, no. What he does is he helps Billy build a goddamn flying Volkswagen. <laughs> Which was fucking weird that Bulk and Skull couldn't figure out that Billy was one of the Power Rangers because he had a flying fucking car. <laughs> um, also, Zordon, kind of racist. We, we, we all know that. Uh, Professor X, again, child army. He, he lets the Morlocks live in the sewers. They're mutants. He knows that they're mutants, but he lets them live in the sewers because they're ugly. <laughs> He gets these attractive young mutants from fancy New England homes, lets them live in his mansion. Even Beast, even Beast was kind of grandfathered in because he was normal looking and then he turned blue. So, you know, he just only likes good looking people. Also, he doesn't sell Cyclops, he has a brother. What the fuck? If I had a brother and like, you knew about it, I'd wish you would tell me. His name's Lyle. He is, yeah. Um, also, anytime there's any dissension in the X ranks, he fucking mind rapes everybody. He just erases their memory. He erases Rogue's memory. He erases Cyclops' memory. He kills Wolverine's memory like a million times. <laughs> just, just because he's like, oh no, they, they don't think I'm right. Better wipe their minds. <laughs> but the worst, the fucking worst is Peter Pan. Now, now, to understand this, we have to take Hook as full canon, which I do. <laughs> so let's let's first forget the idea that the weird incest thing between Wendy and Peter Banning and all that. Okay, so Peter Pan exists in a world where Peter Pan is a character. Now the movie Hook was made in 1991. Peter Pan Peter Banning is 40. He stops being Peter Pan at around 13. That means he stops stealing children in 1963. The movie has already come out, the Disney animated movie. So people, he exists in a world, so he's coming into your window. And keep in mind, most of these kids are like 13, like, like Thudbutt and Rufio, 
They're not like, that's the kid who can turn into a ball, in case you didn't know. They're, they're actually like, you know, kind of teenagers. So let's, let's keep that in mind. So he's, he's stealing kids to fuel his never-ending war with pirates. That's kind of fucked up. So, where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay, so in, in the movie, he, you know, Peter Panning comes back and he realizes that he's Peter Pan. And there's a key phrase in there that Neverland makes you forget, which is great for Peter because he doesn't want these kids to remember their parents. <laughs> he's keeping them so hopped up on fairy dust just to kill pirate after pirate. Thudbutt at one point says to him, hey, Peter, do you know what my happy thought was? It's my mother. Oh. Implying that Peter goddamn stole him from his mother. <laughs> At the end, he, he goes into battle against Hook. And what does, you know, any responsible adult do? D does he say, guys, I got this. I can fly. I can fight. I can crow. I've got to save Maggie. I've got to save Jack. No, he says, no, guys, come on. Get your little ping pong ball shooters and your little bamboo armor and come fight the fucking pirates <laughs> with me. And because of that, Rufio dies. And what does he do at the end? Does, does he say, all right, well, guys, I'm, I'm going back to Neverland. I'm going to bring you with me. I'm going to get you homes so you're not, like, just living in this land of agelessness where you, you get miserable, attacked by pirates. No, no, he leaves them fucking there. He leaves them in Neverland. <laughs> and, and who does he leave in charge? Does he... Does he be like, oh, you know what? I'll come back. I'll come back and occasionally check up on you because I'm an adult, and that's what a responsible adults should do. No. No, he picks Thudbutt to lead them. Again, Thudbutt can turn into a ball. Peter Pan is a dick. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. That, that was great. Uh, speaking of characters who use children as their... Uh, their army. Can we have a moment of silence for Damian Wayne, please? That affected oh, me very much. Spoiler! Thank okay, it's been out two weeks now. I'm sorry. Damian Wayne, it hasn't been collected as a train yet. Fair <laughs> point. Fair <laughs> point. Uh, all right, I've said enough. Uh, Chris Crotwell. <laughs> so, um, I don't support human trafficking or the sex trade. <laughs> They are, they are very serious problems that ruin millions of lives. Um, that's a disclaimer. <laughs> the, um, the summer before my senior year of college was pretty miserable. Uh, my fiance had to live with her parents, and I was in the process of shepherding a small band of refugees from an imperiled honors program from one dormitory to another. I was their president. Uh, it had been 110 degrees for weeks. This is the moment when my friend Andrew bursts into my room and tells me that he needs me to drive him to St. Louis to rescue our friend Gordon from boot camp for the weekend. And so I said yes immediately because I, I desperately needed something to do. I'd beaten, I'd beaten Wind Waker twice. <laughs> so only hours, a couple hours after that, I'm in my car driving toward Fort St. Leonard Wood, Missouri. And uh, just a little bit about Andrew and Gordon. Um, Andrew is a maniac with delusions of grandeur, and I love him. <laughs> um, Gordon had recently had a crisis of direction and joined the National Guard, so he was on his way to Afghanistan. 
When we show up in this tiny little hotel in the middle of the woods, where the soldiers are allowed to take leave from boot camp for a few days, uh, he just runs out and dives into the back of the car in his uniform, and we threw a blanket over him. <laughs> and drove away. <laughs> Huzzah. And we have no idea what we're going to do. None of us have been to St. Louis before. So when we get to the hotel, we just call a taxi. Because uh, we figure whoever the wonderful person is that picks us up, hopefully, he will just take us to things. Because we, have, we don't know what we're doing. And so it was a fateful decision. We get a taxi. The guy shows up. His name is Lowe. Or at least that's what he called himself. Uh, as soon as he found out we were from Alabama, he blared Leonard Skinner the entire time. <laughs> just, just fucking loops of Sweet Home Alabama. Just loops of it. He takes, us, he takes us out. We end up going to some bars. We get restless and bored because, God damn it, this is an adventure. How many of these do you get to have? So we call him back up. We get in, starts fucking blaring Sweet Home Alabama, and he says, all right, guys, what you want, sex, drugs, or rock and roll? And, uh, and Andrew looks at him and goes, sex. <laughs> because apparently we're in some sort of coming-of-age movie from the 80s. <laughs> and, so, and so Lowe says, and this puzzled me for like the whole half an hour it took us to get where we go, and he says, no problem, I know this really great Vietnamese place. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm such a fucking idiot. Because I'm like, that's weird. I've never been to like a racially themed strip club before. <laughs> but, you know, it's not my trip. I'm not the one going to Afghanistan. So whatever. And we drive and we're driving and we're driving out of St. Louis. And I'm like, dude, this strip club's forever away. <laughs> Then we drive into the woods, and I'm like, the strip club's in the woods. <laughs> but then we pull up to a compound of trailers. Oh. A compound of trailers in the woods outside of St. Louis. <laughs> and I just then, just then, realize what we're doing. And it blows my mind. I'm just stunned. I was like, holy shit, I'm in a brothel. Because I was. <laughs> That's exactly where I was. And we get out of the car and Lowe starts explaining the rules because apparently he shuttles people out here all the time. Oh, He's like, 40 bucks, you get a massage. Then, you know, you negotiate for whatever else. And I'm, I'm engaged. And, uh, but we're in the woods. I can't go anywhere. And apparently at this point, Andrew and Gordon have thought to themselves, yeah, yeah, no. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> just, you know, just saddling up. You know, fuck a hooker. Yeah. It's the thing they're going to do. <laughs> so this, we go into this little room with a, with a big steel security door and one of those tiny panel slides open. Oh. Like in, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. <laughs> <laughs> and this ancient Vietnamese woman in a muumu <laughs> lets us in to what looks like some sort of, like, really disreputable Dennis waiting room from the 70s. It's, it's hideous and, and, and weirdly retro. Like, they haven't done a lot of updating in this brothel. <laughs> and so we sit down in some chairs, and uh, she parades out a, a group of women um, who, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this, probably showed up in the United States in a shipping container. Let's just be perfectly honest. That part's not funny at all. 
And so, yeah. I know. It's, this shit gets real sad real fast this way. So, so Gordon and Andrew, they choose their respective partners, whatever is going to go on. And I just sit there, doing my best, like, giving the, the old lady, like, trying not to offend her somehow, like, my best. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to hang out out here and just wait for whatever that is to get done. And there's stacks of magazines, hundreds of ancient copies of Southern Home and Garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only shit to read. Like, who is, who, like, is it 52-year-old women frequently this brothel? Like, who are these magazines for? But I don't want to talk to any Johns, and uh, I really don't want to talk to any Johns. And so I just start reading about Cheddar Biscuits. <laughs> And I had this really serene moment where I'm sitting there reading about Cheddar Biscuits at this brothel outside of St. Louis. Um, Alan Watts is one of my favorite people. He has a quote, You are something the whole world is doing. And I like to think that at that moment, the whole world was sitting in a brothel reading about Cheddar Biscuits. (laughs) They come out, eventually. Um, They're just depressing, hollow stares affixed to their faces. Just upset. They're both upset. <laughs> they don't talk at all. We just go to a white castle. Everybody's like quietly eating flyers. <laughs> so, <laughs> wasn't supposed to use his real name. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so mad. Um, so Gordon. <laughs> fuck it, that's his last name. <laughs> Afghanistan, we go back to Alabama. And and I didn't know for a long time what happened in either of those rooms. But I did. I'm going to end with this. I did find out what happened in Andrew's room eventually. He broke down. He had to tell someone. He just couldn't keep it inside. He went in there, gave us $40, and refused to negotiate for anything extra. He demanded a massage. Like I said, he's a maniac with delusions of grandeur. <laughs> he just wanted a massage, but she doesn't even speak English and doesn't know how to give a massage. No, like, it's not a very professional place, frankly. <laughs> so he refuses to give her anything else. She doesn't know what to do. Like, she's having a weird time, he's having a weird time, this isn't normal protocol. So he ends up getting, a, like, a just probably the strangest hand job he'll ever get. Um, and the whole time he so needs this not to be what it is he so desperately needs it not to be what it is that he keeps saying I need you to believe I need you I need you to believe I know right it's fucked up (laughs) so imagine picture this for a second this is this is a young man getting a and like a horrible hand job from a woman that doesn't speak English, screaming, begging the universe for authenticity that's not there. <laughs> and if that doesn't paint a picture for you, uh, it's a, it's a bad world. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That was a hell of a story, dude. Uh- <laughs>
I got nothing funny to say. Uh, coming up next, uh, newcomer to your stories, but I've heard this story before. It is fucking great. Sorry to oversell you, Mark Wolf. Anybody here who's French? Eh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> From what I'm about to do. Um, so I just want to start real quick with them. Um, this isn't a Bible. This is a, a book on French history. Um, I enjoy it because they're so bad at making it. Um, <laughs> so it just it, it's um it's about uh it starts talking about French military theory. And they preached the offensive outcomes, which means you just go on the offensive, no matter what. And corollary to this was the teaching that the French soldier was inherently superior to the German in fighting qualities. His élan was something especially French. His excitable Gallic temperament was peculiarly fitted to take, to take the offensive. There was a spirit called furia francese. It could be invincible. The taking of the offensive with French fury would more than offset the German army's superior numbers, equipment, and tactics. <laughs> so I'm on a plane from Paris to Washington, D.C.'s Dulles International Airport, and I'm sitting in row 40, of 42 rows on a double, on a triple seven, and I'm in like the first aisle seat in the middle. You know, so I'm just sitting there, and I'm watching V for Vendetta, it's like 2006. And I'm watching V for Vendetta on the, on the thing, because there's nothing else to do on this flight, and got on board, but then I noticed all the way up, because I'm way in the back, I, I noticed up here in the division, you know, between us cattle and business class, which would be, which would be human class, and then there's superhuman class, the X-Men class, maybe. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in cattle, like sex worker to America class. So, uh, I'm just following the Following those who've paved the road for me. <laughs> so I, I noticed that up here in, in the in the in the galleyway or you know where the lavatories are, there's a little commotion, you know. And 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 so I kind of I'm bored. So even for Vendetta, I've seen it. So I look, and you know, there's this little guy. He's about you know five nine ish, and he's arguing with a stewardess. Okay, yeah. Let's go back to watching the movie, and then uh, then I notice people are are moving around me. But, you know, be for Vendetta, whatever. Um, so we're watching that, watching that, watching that. And then I noticed that, oh, oh, here comes this little guy escorted by a steward. And he's put in row 42, the very last row, over here in the corner. And so, you know, that's fine. And then another movie comes on, and it's, uh, um, it's uh, Miranda Priestly. It's, uh, 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 oh, come on, help me out. Um, Shop Redemption. Meryl Streep. The Devil Wears Prada. So I'm watching The Devil Wears Prada, and it's actually hurting my soul. Because, because I'm flying back from a vacation back to work in Washington, D.C., where I worked for the Miranda Priestley of higher education. And so, right, I know, right? So I'm just like, oh, God, this is the life I'm returning to. I cannot, I can't, I can't, is there, what, what am I? So I, I turn back and I notice, you know, I'm kind of looking around, just looking for something to kind of, you know, enlighten my life. And I notice our, 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 our little friend back here, he's got this little backpack, and he's, you know. All right, fine, okay. You know, and he's getting trashed on this bottle of booze that he has snuck in uh, in his backpack. I don't know how he did it. I'm, I'm just like, 
I wish I had that because this is just hurting, hurting, hurting. And, um, and then uh, he's, he's taking more and more. And so a stewardess notices from the back alley, and she's back here kind of like. So she disappears. <laughs> and then I start to hear. And I look, and here comes a very big, angry man in a uniform. And it's the pilot. And he's not very happy. So he tries to talk to our Frenchman, who's French, and who apparently isn't interested in speaking English. So the stewardess is having to translate, and they confiscate the bottle, and, um, and he's told not to F up anymore, or he's off the plane. Which I don't really know what that means, because... <laughs> right, we're over the Atlantic. I mean, you know, we're not going to put him on the airlock or anything. So, um, so he goes back up. I continue watching this, this terrible, soul-sucking movie. And, um, and then I start looking around again, and, and he's, digging in his, he's digging in his backpack again. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? He pulls up. He's actually rolling a cigarette. <laughs> he rolls a cigarette, and I'm like, what good is that going to do? And then he pulls out a lighter. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And he lights his lighter, and the stewardess is like... <laughs> And she runs out and snatches the cigarette and runs back. <laughs> Take the lighter! <laughs> so he stands up and yells, Appetit! You know? And he sits back down, he's angry, he's, he's trash, and he's rolling another cigarette. So I hear. And I look and I'm like, oh, he looks angry. <laughs> That's a big guy. So he's coming. And Frenchie sees him, and he stands up, Florida Frenchesa, right? And he winds up, oh. and boom! Oh. And he hits my pilot! <laughs> and the pilot goes down! And I'm like... <laughs> Nobody hits my pilot on my airplane, I'm sorry. Now, to be fair, I'm 100% German. <laughs> All right, that whole 1914, 1918 thing. I'm still a little. Brandon, we got our revenge in 40, but I'm still a little. <laughs> And I, I hop into the aisle, and there he is. Now, I have a little bit of fighting training, so, you know, little, you know so he looks at me, and I look at him, and I realize it's Furia Francesa against a better armed, better equipped, and better trained German force. So, <laughs> all right, here we go. Long story short, we end up in the middle seats, and we're having to fight around, and he's bleeding from an eyeball or an eyebrow, and he's bleeding from the mouth, and, the stewardess is there with duct tape, and my belt is wrapped around his legs. He's handcuffed from behind. Oh he is, it's a mess. I mean, it's a mess. But fortunately, someone has finally come to my aid, as well as the pilot is finally up. And so the pilot's sitting on his legs, and I'm kind of up by his head, like, you know, holding him there. Someone else is in the middle, and he's, he's still screaming. He's still screaming. He's still screaming. So we duct tape his mouth shut, right? <laughs> Upsetting everyone else. This is a full plane. So we duct tape his mouth shut. 
Um, but he's bleeding so much, he's able to actually work the tape down <laughs> and continue screaming, right? So, um, so we eventually, I'm, I'm basically holding him, I'm standing, the plane is coming in for Dulles. We were like in between like Dulles and like Philadelphia, which are like the two airports that could take a 777. So we didn't divert, but we come in and it's a pretty hard landing because, you know, we're in a hurry. And so we land the plane, boom, boom, right? And plane rolls in. And uh, we get to the gate, and everybody's trying to gawk and everything, you know. So on, on comes the airport police, the customs police, guys in suits, and a medic. And their first job is getting everybody off the plane, to get everybody off the plane, get everybody We're still holding them, right? Now, the airport police come back. Now, these, are the, these aren't the, you know, the TSA. Uh, come through. These are the don't fuck with us squad, right? Because they're like big, big angry men. <laughs> And they come in, and this guy, you know, he's duct taped and he's handcuffed, and his legs are thin, his legs are all belted and duct taped. He, he's not moving; he's a mummy. And so they reach up and they grab him, and they pick him up like this. Basically, <laughs> they basically stand him up all the way over and back down like this. And they're holding him just above the floor. And so the medic grabs him by the hair, looks at his face. He's going to need stitches. They lets his head go, <laughs> and they drop him in the aisle. <laughs> Don't fuck with us. So one of the guys in the suits is there, and he looks at and he looks at me, and I'm I'm basically wearing this, and he says, well, "You guys are dressed pretty casual, aren't you?" Well, what do you mean? Well, you're a marshal, aren't you? No, sir, I'm a grant writer. <laughs> so he says, "Okay, so all right, fine. Well, uh, let's you know." So he starts talking to us. One of the guys in the suit starts talking to us. And uh, meanwhile, they're looking for this guy's documentation, right? So they go through his bag, and it's up there. Pull it out. Oh, it's a passport of service. Oh, fuck, that's a diplomatic passport. Oh. <laughs> so immediately, the guys in the suits identify themselves as FBI. Oh, please come over here. And then the other guy's over there. The pilot's over there. We're interviewed, and interviewed, and interviewed, and everything's fine. You just beat up a French diplomat. So, yeah. So, <laughs> well, at this point, at this point, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about a lot of different things. Not the least of which is my friend Shona, who is waiting for for me to come out of the airport. Right? And Shona's not a Shona, Shona's um she's a very angry woman and um <laughs> not on a good day. And, uh, uh, and she's had to fight traffic from Maryland to Dulles to pick me up, and she's having to wait, you know, two, two and a half hours while I'm interviewed by three different FBI agents, and, you know, give a statement, and then, you know, and by the way, I've got blood on me, so now I have to be, like, you know, cleaned up and everything, and finally get out, finally get my luggage. Customs actually went through my baggage. I'm like, guys, come on! <laughs> Toss me a solid for one thing. And no, anyway. Get out, finally get to Shona, she's waiting there. So I tell her the story. She's like, oh my god, that's amazing. She's like, that's, that's like what you're bred for. You're German and you pick up a French diplomat. And, and then she says, but I gotta feel depressed. I'm like, what do you mean? This is the most awesome thing I have ever done in my entire life. She's like, exactly. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> Mark to tell that story for like a year on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Four weeks ago, I um, 
walked into an office in Uptown. And that office had a cat named Zelda, a bowl of candy, and a psychiatrist. And uh, I was there to see the psychiatrist. <laughs> I, was, I was much more excited about the cat and the candy. Uh, for, the, for the few months previous, I've been living in a place that I like to call Anxietyville. Um, and in the middle of that little town, there is a big uh, intersection with one road labeled nerds and the other road <laughs> labeled comedians. And there's a very densely populated area in the center. And uh, I was smack dab in the middle of that intersection, uh, afraid that I was going to get hit by cars and problems <laughs> at every moment. When I was in seventh grade, I had my first panic attack. Um, I didn't know it was a panic attack. I just knew that one minute I was doing the dishes, and the next minute I was on the floor hyperventilating, and I, I didn't know why. Uh, for the next few years, uh, my anxiety ebbed and flowed and escalated until it, it took over halfway through my freshman year of college, which culminated with me having panic attacks instead of you know every six months, uh, every couple of days. Uh, and the worst one, I wound up calling an ambulance on myself because I thought I was about to die. Let me make it clear for a second. I wasn't going to die. <laughs> um, I was fine. Physically, I was fine. Uh, but mentally, I was not. The fact that I have an anxiety disorder is defined by the fact that most of my fears are completely irrational. So I got therapy. And I got better. A lot better. So much better. And four weeks ago, I walked into a psychiatrist's office because I wasn't better anymore. Um, I, had, I had spent months putting off appointments and, and, and pushing through to the next problem, thinking that I could get through it until I, I couldn't. Like, I couldn't function. So I sat down. She said, uh, so what are you here for? And I said, anxiety. Um, and possibly ADHD. And possibly brain damage. Um, but I'm pretty sure I only think I have brain damage because I'm anxious. And she said, is there a history of mental illness in your family? And I said, I don't know. We don't talk about it. We're Catholic. <laughs> um, and she said, so, so, so what is it that makes you anxious? And I said, uh, uh, every decision that I make that I think might be wrong and thinking that I'm going to be so stymied by my own lack of decisiveness with my own life choices that I won't wind up accomplishing anything. Um, also, chainsaws. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's not relevant to this discussion. <laughs> she said, have you been uh, having trouble sleeping? And I said, well, uh, for a while I've only been getting like four hours of sleep a night. But also, I watched every episode of Game of Thrones in the past five days. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I've been having trouble sleeping or if I just really wanted to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> So she said, well, I'm going to write you a prescription for an antidepressant. And I said, whoa, I thought you were going to give me like a Scantron or something <laughs> to like check out if I have anxiety. And she was like, you're pretty anxious. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And she said, you've been physically shaking the entire time you've been sitting here. And I said, you got me there. <laughs> so for the last four weeks, every morning, I uh, put a chemical up in my brain that says, hey, serotonin, cut it the fuck out. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's 
like somebody's grabbed me by the back of the neck and, and pulled me out of the, the scramble of chaotic problems that I couldn't figure out how to deal with and given me a bird's eye view of my own life again. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about things outside of the Game of Thrones universe. <laughs> the crazy thing about living in Anxietyville is that it feels like you're living there alone. And you're not. A lot of your neighbors are, are sitting next to you in the dark right now, dreading the moment when the lights come up and they have to talk to people. That's me. And I'm getting better. Again. You guys know the words, please sing along. I feel a lot better if it wasn't just me. Fresh strings, you guys know what I'm talking about. Alright. One, two, two, three, four. Do you have the time to listen to me whine? About nothing and everything all at once I am one of those melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. 
Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on the Nerdalogs, your stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdalogs.com.